Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and today on the show, we're going to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk about our new quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa. We're going to talk about our old quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we're going to talk about the guy caught in the middle, Josh Rosen. The inspiration for today's show was the news that broke shortly before I started recording this podcast, that the Cincinnati Bengals uh, have released quarterback Andy Dalton. If you remember, uh, Dalton was uh, given the opportunity to look for a trade uh, in the, the aftermath of the Cincinnati Bengals acquiring the number one overall selection in the 2020 NFL Draft with the vast assumption that they were going to take a quarterback and new uh, head coach there in Zach Taylor. Time for a change. Regime change leads to quarterback change, leads to out with the old, in with the new. And the Bengals have now officially done that with the drafting of Joe Burrow and the release, outright release, of Andy Dalton. So, as it pertains to Josh Rosen, because I think that's where this conversation needs to start, there are questions from Dolphins fans of what are the Dolphins going to do with Josh Rosen? Can they trade Josh Rosen? Should they just cut Josh Rosen? And depending on who you ask, you're going to get a number of different answers. And, and typically what I've found is if people weren't enamored with the idea of Josh Rosen before it happened, they're ready to just flush the toilet and say, yeah, you know, we got Tua now, Fitzpatrick's in the building, we really don't need a third quarterback, you know, let's be done with Josh Rosen and admit the mistake and move on and, and it'll be better for everyone. But that's kind of a wasteful approach to this investment. And the problem that the Dolphins have is if you look at the quarterback market across the NFL right now, you have Jameis Winston just signed a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints for like $1.1 million. The Cincinnati Bengals were desperately looking for a trade partner to send Andy Dalton anywhere and could not get any action on that. They were forced and prompted to outright release Andy Dalton. The Jacksonville's Jaguars somehow managed to get a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles, which will go down as one of the steals of the offseason when you consider Cam Newton's still on the market. Andy Dalton is now on the market. Jameis Winston, who threw for 5,000 yards, say what you will about the interceptions, just came off the market, and it cost $1 million to sign him. Chicago sent a fourth to Jacksonville? Okay. Neither here nor there. The point is this. The quarterback market right now, is oversaturated. And that's a weird place to be because it has not been this way for a very long time. For a very long time, it was the old guard of quarterbacks, the the Manning and Roethlisberger and Brady and the other Manning. These guys kind of had it locked in. And if you didn't have one of those guys, you better hope you had a young rookie quarterback who stepped in and, and could elevate your team. You think about all the Super Bowl winners over the last 20 years, all the AFC representatives were Joe Flacco, 
Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Ben Roethlisberger. And that was it for the AFC. Well, over the course of the last five years or so, you've seen this massive influx in quarterback talent. You know, Going back to, let's start with 2016, the, the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott year. And then 2017 was Trubisky, uh, Carson, or, uh, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes. And then it was 2018 in which we saw five quarterbacks come off the board in the first round. And Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, those guys are locked in. Uh, Josh Rosen obviously here in Miami, not looking good. Josh Allen, some good and some bad. 2019, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. It's too far removed to say anything about them. And then this year we saw Joe Burrow, Tua Tungvaloa, and Justin Herbert. Guys, that's half the league. Half the league in the last four years, five years, has drafted a quarterback. And that doesn't even get into the Russell Wilsons of the world now. So you're seeing this out with the old and in with the new, and the end result is the demand for high-priced quarterbacks is down. That's good news for the Dolphins because Josh Rosen's not a high-priced quarterback, but Josh Rosen on the pecking order of available quarterbacks, Cam Newton can't find a team. The Bengals couldn't find somebody to trade for a conservative, fairly reliable, average starting quarterback in Andy Dalton who's probably going to go sign in New England, by the way. Can't freaking wait. What do you think the Dolphins are going to get for Josh Rosen? People asking, can we trade Josh Rosen? Who's going to take a shot on Josh Rosen right now? There's nobody that's going to pay anything based off what Josh showed in two and a half, three games in 2019. That's the unfortunate reality. And there's egg on my face here because before the 2019 NFL draft, I was absolutely in on the idea of taking the shot on Josh Rosen. I appreciate that the Dolphins traded back in the second round to mitigate their risk. You know, they take a two in the in the the late forties and turn it into two twos, one this year, one next year, and send the one this year that's in the sixties to Arizona to draft Josh Rosen. So technically, they didn't lose any draft capital; they just deferred it, turned it into Raquan Davis. But the Dolphins now are at a position where the tape is bad. He's struck out at two consecutive teams in two consecutive years, which is incredible. He has no stability whatsoever. He's a depreciating asset at an alarming rate. He's probably going to be QB3 unless the Dolphins commit to redshirting Tua. Who's going to trade for him? What's the value of a quarterback who's been so mentally downtrodden by coaches pulling the plug on him in two consecutive years. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. He mentally was not ready to execute the responsibilities in the pre-snap that he had to for the Dolphins offense last year. That was a variable I did not see coming because he is widely regarded as an intelligent quarterback, pro-style passer, you don't assume those holes are going to be there, and then you get them in the building, and it's, oh, geez, well, yeah, the holes are there. That has become the reputation now for Josh. So if I'm Miami, what do I do with Josh Rosen? I keep him. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick, say what you will, say how he's probably going to start the year as the starter, is 39 years old, or 38 years old, 
He's not a long-term fixture on the roster. He had to confirm he wasn't retiring this offseason. And with Tua Tungavaloa's injury history, you would be well served to have somebody who can at least inspire a little bit of hope behind. The Dolphins are not going to be this team that has a starting quarterback and then behind him is uh, some Tom, Dick, and Harry from off the street. Some UDFA seventh round draft pick. I think it's smarter to keep Josh Rosen, continue to groom him. You know, that was one of the big pieces of feedback that um, I picked up from the Albert Breer uh, Monday morning quarterback column this week after the draft was the Dolphins felt uh, a Chan Gailey style offense would be easier for a young quarterback to pick up. And they, they picked up to a tongue of Aloha, which we're all stoked about and RPO heavy concepts. And, but the RPO heavy concepts are not something that you're going to lose a lot from a quarterback run threat from Josh Rosen to Tua. neither one of these guys is going to be, standouts for run threats. So if you can bring Josh Rosen along, you can get him more comfortable in a more simplified offense. Let's keep him as the backup. He is a cheap backup quarterback with physical upside because of his arm talent. Why are we in a rush to just flush the toilet and move on? Because some folks didn't want him before the Dolphins traded for him. If that's your only motivation for feeling this way, let's take a step back and appreciate what Josh Rosen brings. He's another young quarterback with a plus arm who has not had a single coaching staff commit to him at the NFL level and had three different offensive coordinators at the college level. So let's let him learn a more simplified passing offense. We rehabilitate him. If Josh Rosen shows well in the preseason, Maybe he kickstarts his value. Probably not this year, but 2021? Yeah. Team would have a club option on him for the following year? That sounds like about as good of an opportunity as the Dolphins are going to have to recoup their investment in Josh Rosen. I am all for not clinging to mistakes, but clinging to the mistake would be Let's let Josh Rosen be the starting quarterback because we spent a second-round pick on him and not take a quarterback at five. That would be clinging to the mistake. Shipping him out the door or cutting him ahead of the start of the season would be wasteful unless you think he is absolutely so far gone that you are never going to get him to a point in which he's salvageable. I don't think we're at that point yet. That's what I support we do with Josh Rosen. As it pertains to the other quarterbacks on the roster, since today is all about the quarterbacks, Ryan Fitzpatrick, let's start there, and we're going to save the the most exciting component for last with Tua. Fitzpatrick has to be smitten based off the beating that he took last year. I bet there will be nobody more excited that Fitzpatrick is not the team's rushing leader in 2020 than Ryan Fitzpatrick because so many of those yards came from him running for his life behind a Swiss cheese offensive line. There will probably still be problems for the offensive line in 2020, but it's not going to be necessarily because of a lack of physical talent. 
there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some chemistry issues. The Dolphins realistically could start five new pieces on the offensive line. It's a very realistic outcome. What's to say it's not Austin Jackson, Eric Flowers, Ted Karras, Solomon Kindly, Robert Hunt? And even if that's the case, even with the growing pains, the Dolphins' identity is going to be very clearly established as far as a team that wants to pound the ball at you. Fitzpatrick is going to take so many less hits this year. Or whoever is back behind center. And ideally, this team gets closer to that 50-50 run pass split. What does that have the chance to do for Ryan Fitzpatrick and his level of play? Well, he played lights out for the last 10 games of the season. The Fitz magic was real. Personality, leadership, composure, willingness to let his playmakers make some plays. All of that sweat equity is going to be run back again in 2020. But as the quality of the rest of the team elevates, Fitzpatrick's lack of precision at times, for Fitzpatrick's free-wielding, gunslinging mentality, we may see the other edge of the double-edged sword here. When Miami was a lowly underdog playing with nothing to lose at all times, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the most fun we've had watching a quarterback since Chad Pennington. Is that unreasonable to say? I don't think it is, because the people in between were the Chad Hennies of the world, Ryan Tannehill, Jay Cutler. No, it's Fitz. It was definitely Fitz. But now, as there's more stability, Fitzpatrick's willingness to take the risks. This is why Fitzpatrick and Fitzmagic, if you will, has this endless cycle that it seems to always have, where he comes out firing, he inspires with his willingness to let guys make plays, they make plays, uh, the team, he surprises with how well he performs, and then he kind of plateaus and drops back off, falls back into a backup job, changes teams, surprises with how well he plays, gives guys a chance to make plays, earns a starting job, they surprise early on, and then he plateaus and play falls back off and he gets benched again. It's like that's the Fitzpatrick life cycle. So we can't, like, he's been doing this for almost two decades now. We can't possibly expect this to be the trend buster where Fitzpatrick is going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback all of a sudden. As the play in Miami stabilizes and the rest of the players around him are elevated in their talent, Fitzpatrick has proven over time to not be a quarterback that can again up his own game and again elevate the play of those around him. And there's nothing wrong with that. Fitzpatrick is the perfect bridge right now. He's got the trust of the coaching staff. He's got the chemistry with the players. If everything goes well, this team is going to play about 500 football this year. And I would be completely fine with letting Ryan Fitzpatrick play every single game until Week 17 if the Dolphins are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs led to a start. Exactly what the Kansas City Chiefs did uh, with Patrick Mahomes. Sit him till Week 17, let him spend the entire year 
digesting everything around him. A game that doesn't mean anything. Here's your live action, kid. Go get it. Which brings us to the man, the myth, the legend. To a tongue of aloe. There is a very strong chance I tell you absolutely nothing about Tua and his family upbringing and his experiences at college that you don't already know. What I would like to do is to fully flesh out my player evaluation of Tua for the DraftNetwork.com. I want to talk about the strengths and weaknesses I want to talk about the games that I watched, the games that stood out to me for good, for bad. Player comparison. Put him in the scope of quarterbacks that I've evaluated. Over the course of the last four years, we talked earlier in the show about this massive influx in young talent. Half the league is invested in quarterbacks on rookie contracts right now, if not more. If not more. Patriots with Jared Stidham still technically qualify, too. Not that he's an answer. He wouldn't prevent the team for going out to sign Andy Dalton in free agency or something like that. Quarterback, Tua Tungavello, fifth overall pick, Miami Dolphins from Alabama Crimson Tide. Can we appreciate this as the olive branch that's going to end the Nick Saban curse too, by the way? I watched uh, The Art of Coaching yesterday, the HBO special with Belichick and Saban, and I'm going to catch some heat for this because I know we're all supposed to hate Nick Saban, but man, I, I really admire the way that that he approaches leadership with college athletes. I said college athletes because I know that that experiment in Miami didn't go the way we wanted it to, and there was some callousness towards players there. But I really appreciated that pull behind the curtain for Saban and how he runs his program, and I think it, it that complementing who Tua is as an individual just adds more positive affirmation of this is this is the olive branch that is going to put the Nick Saban, Drew Brees dilemma to, to bed. Okay, so, so two over the course of his career, 69% completion percentage, uh, 96 total touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Very good productivity versus negative plays. Interestingly enough, I did see a stat. I think he took less than... It was uh, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network. So Tua took 72 pass attempts during his virtual pro day and attempted 68 pass attempts in the fourth quarter of his entire career at Alabama. So more pass attempts at a virtual pro day than he did in the entirety of his career at Alabama in the fourth quarter of football games. 68 pass attempts in the fourth quarter. That is a huge testament to what Alabama has been able to do uh, as far as winning football games, getting out in front. Uh, 684 career pass attempts for Tua, 68 of them in the fourth quarter of football games. Let's talk about Tua. The games I studied for Tua, uh, I studied Vanderbilt and Georgia from 2017, Louisville, Tennessee, Auburn, Texas A&M, LSU, Oklahoma, and Clemson in 2018. And Duke, South Carolina, Mississippi, and uh, LSU in 2019. Ton of games. Ton of football games. 
My overview of Tua is as follows. Tungavaloa's only question falls into his durability after suffering multiple ankle injuries and a dislocated hip. His exposure and mastery of a 2018 vertical offense and 2019 West Coast offense concepts in an Alabama offense provide easy projection of the pros. He's an elite passer with rare intangibles, short area quickness, and accuracy. Tungavaloa has never met a stage that was too big either. This is a face of a franchise player who, if healthy, will be an elite quarterback soon before long. His best trait for me was his football intelligence. Worst trait was not taking his checkdowns. But the best game tape he put on display was South Carolina 2019, dominant performance. Worst film was Clemson 2018, playing with the ankle sprain. They fell behind early. Uh, comp for him is Russell Wilson, lefty Russell Wilson. Uh, he's not super mobile. He's not going to kill you with his legs, but his mobility within the pocket is pretty rare, and his ability to keep his eyes down the field are huge pluses. Accuracy, some surreal ball placement in short spaces and vertically comfortable throwing to open shoulder and letting his receivers in and attack the football. Deliberate placement to protect receivers or set up run after catch opportunities to all levels of the field. Precision passer versus tight man or zipping in between zone defenders. Decision making. He's had like five total brain farts in his entire career. Comfortable reading full field and willing to trust reads to come across the field without hesitation. Highly intelligent passer who makes strong reads in real time. That said, would love to see him concede and quicker take checkdowns. Progressions. He's crisp. He understands the value his eyes hold and moves them accordingly to manipulate zone defenders. Listen to Tua before the season and he talked with Kirk Herbstreet. And that was one of the things that he said he worked on the most this past offseason was using his eyes as a weapon to displace defenders. Go back and watch LSU. 2019. Alabama started slow, but throughout that game, he used his eyes as a weapon against high-end college prospects slash NFL prospects. LSU's team had 14 players drafted this year. Like a whole bunch on defense. Both linebackers. Corner. Chase on. Two more defensive linemen. That's just on defense. And they got like a first-round nose tackle... Uh, Derek Stingley, who's not eligible for two more years, and uh, Grant Delpit. I didn't mention Grant Delpit. And then another safety who's probably going to be a top 100 pick when it's his turn next year. Every single player on defense last year for LSU was, a, was an NFL defender. Go back and watch that game. You watch how he uses his eyes to steer defenders, create windows. Has been exposed to no shortage of reads and concepts and boosted by addition of Steve Sarkeesian to coaching staff for 2019 season to implement more pro-style concepts. Anticipation. Regularly pulls the trigger as receivers hit the top of their stems. He's deadly accurate in these other scenarios as well. Feathering passes effortlessly into space for receivers to catch in stride. Feel for pressure at the line of scrimmage and work within the pocket to anticipate open areas in the pocket. Yields clean throwing platforms with consistency. Again, the only issue here is when he holds this football too long. Uh, Poise has created some magic within the pocket and keeps his eyes downfield without bother. He'll ramp up aggressiveness as needed as game situations call for urgency, and he'll keep swinging without fear. Has created some big play magic throughout the course of his story career on the biggest of stages. Arm strength. Does he have elite strength? No. Is his arm strength a problem? Definitely not. He's got plenty of juice within the pocket and generates desirable heat on the ball when he gets downhill to throw on the run. Has ability to squeeze tight window throws in with zip, but more so because he's so accurate. His pocket awareness. There's times you feel like he's got a camera installed in the back of his helmet. 
Uh, he's got an innate feel for rushers crushing it off, rushing it off the edge. It shows foot quickness and feel for where to slide and when to slide to break that first arriving defender's angle and offer a chance to reset or otherwise flush the pocket and into space. His throwing mechanics are clean. Appreciate that he's able to drop the arm angle and throw around bodies as a shorter passer. He's got quick delivery and will do well to zip throws out under duress and allow maximum time for receivers to uncover. No trouble with throwing motion and delivery to throw in congested space. His footwork is one of his best qualities. He's super smooth here. He's got teach tape. What I mean by that is it's it's prototypical how it's supposed to look with his footwork getting out from, from the snap. Quick feet to snap into position and come back to opposite side of the field with bounce. Dynamic lower half allows him to slide and cover significant distance within the pocket in efforts to avoid the rush. Last but not least, his run ability. He's not a killer on the ground, and given his durability questions, there's going to be some hesitancy in getting him involved with run concepts, although 2017 and 18 featured some QB sweeps that were uh, run with some success. A fine athlete who can beat you if he breaks contain versus main coverage, with defenders having their eyes back, uh, backs to the quarterback. All in all, this is a player that is as built. The only question is, can you keep him healthy? Which is, again, why I am willing to let Fitz take the lumps with an offensive line that has some growing pains. The Dolphins did what I asked them to do and what many fans have asked them to do, which is don't just address your offensive line. Invest in your offensive line. Get those big uglies up front established. The Dolphins have that. And they have... Josh Rosen was the proverbial sacrificial lamb in 2019 for trying to work this offense and the Dolphins realizing, wow, Rosen's a pretty smart individual, but his head is swimming trying to run this Patriots offense. Maybe we ought to water this thing down. Lo and behold, they've watered it down. Chan Gailey, RPO-style offense is much more live-action reading and forcing defenders to be wrong. Ryan Fitzpatrick can now be the 2020 proverbial sacrificial lamb for the guy who has the toughness and the durability and the leadership to be able to take the beating that is going to come from a brand new offensive line and not expose Tua to that wear and tear while he's still in the infancy of his pro career and things will be moving as slow mentally for him as they will ever move at the pro level. That's it. That's all I got for you guys today. Hope you enjoyed. I really enjoyed the deep dive into the quarterbacks. It's a fascinating conversation as far as what Miami does with Rosen, how Miami chooses to handle Tua. I think it's it's pretty cut and dry in my opinion on how to handle all three bodies in the quarterback room. Um, but time will tell. Please come on back and see me tomorrow. We got one more show this week. Looking forward to another deep dive, another prospect. The new rookie for the Dolphins in 2020 we'll get into. And uh, plenty of storylines here across the league as, as some names start to change. And you see teams starting to cut weight with veteran players now that they've got their rookies in the building. Uh, so there's some dynamics here that we need to keep an eye on for the Dolphins, especially as uh, knowing they have that in-case-of-emergency break glass with Albert Wilson, they can free up $10 million in cap space with a snap of the fingers. Kyle Krabs signing off. Thanks as always for listening to Locked On Dolphins. Come on back. See us again tomorrow.